Hey everyone, and welcome to the Hack My Homestead podcast. This is Sean Mills, and today is March 1st, 2023. Yesterday we wrapped up our two-part series on how we took our family off-grid and some of the challenges that we were faced with when we were going through that process. And today it got me thinking about the things that we did before we actually went off-grid, the things that we did when we had decided we're going to go off-grid We had bought the off-grid property in Linden, Tennessee, and we had not moved there yet, but we were getting ready to move. What we did, how we evaluated the things that we, um, you know, were using and and started thinking about substitutions and, you know, essentially the things that we considered when we were considering going off-grid. And that's going to be the title of the episode today. (coughs) Excuse me. So... What we did was uh, we really started looking at all the different things that we plugged in, all the different things that we had um, that we didn't necessarily need or we didn't need a plug-in version, right? And so some of the easy things early on as we're doing this evaluation were looking at the uh, video game consoles. So at the time, we had an Xbox, a PlayStation, and a Nintendo Wii, right? Uh, no real need to have all three of those, but we just did. We had acquired them over the years. And so one of the things we looked at was, all right, the Wii is right out. We don't we you know we knew that the Wii was not gonna go with this. It was the biggest energy user of the three. Uh, the Xbox and the PlayStation were pretty close to each other. But the PlayStation had the capability to play uh, Blu-rays. And the Xbox uh, had the ability to play HD DVDs. Uh, And most of the people I would imagine listening to this podcast don't know that before everything was streaming, uh, you used to have to go get discs. And there was another version before that called VHS, but we won't talk about that. Um, But there was a, you know, you had DVDs for a while uh, and... Then you had a higher quality, both video and sound, uh, DVD, and there were two versions of that. And so one of the versions was a Blu-ray disc, and the other version was an HD or high-definition DVD. And so at the time of, that we went off-grid, um, that battle had not resolved itself yet. It was looking like Blu-ray was going to take over and be the, the thing, but... We weren't sure, you know, there was still a possibility HD DVDs uh, would be the thing. Uh, so we did look at both the Xbox and the PlayStation, uh, and, and we decided on the PlayStation. You know, like I said, Blu-ray was already kind of uh, taking the lead in that race, and we also, uh, you know, ran um, using a kilowatt meter. We figured out what it took to, in, in terms of energy, for about an hour of gameplay. Uh, we did an hour of gameplay. We did an hour of uh, watching the video. Uh, you know, like I said, one one used one, one used the other. And uh, Blu-ray was, or rather, the uh, PlayStation was lower in uh, in energy use. It was more energy efficient in both of those uh, arenas. And so we decided to take the PlayStation with us off-grid. The PlayStation would become our uh, Blu-ray slash DVD player as well. Uh, and this was an interesting thing that we did. We actually got rid of all, all of our TVs, 
except one. We had a little small one that we, we put in our bedroom. Um, but our main TV in the living room, we swapped out for a projector. Um, we, we did the math and determined that uh, per hour of you know watching, the projector was actually a more energy efficient methodology than a TV. And, you know, when you're off grid and you're on an inverter, they all say that they're pure sine waves. Um, but there was also, there was always a possibility that that wasn't, that there was a little bit of harmonic distortion uh, coming from the inverter. Or when the generator was on, the generators put out pretty dirty power, actually. Uh, there was always a possibility that when the generator was on, uh, that pass-through energy would be a bit dirty. And so we essentially, you know, after looking at that, decided, well, in addition to being more energy efficient, uh, an, a projector can actually deal with dirtier power a little bit easier just the way that it, it actually works. And so we went with a projector and a pull-down screen in the living room, a little small uh, audio system. The, um, the projector had its own speakers on, on it, which were fine for, you know, most applications, but we wanted to watch a movie or something uh we had an old receiver and a few speakers and um we would we would bust that out on movie nights and then we looked at our kitchen appliances and so the kitchen is a place where you end up with a ton of appliances most of which you probably don't need you've got your waffle makers you've got your flat griddles you've got your uh immersion blenders and your regular blenders and your ninja and your shake maker and you've got uh, ovens and you've got um, uh, toaster ovens and convection ovens and air fryers. And you've got all, you know, stand mixers and you just all of these different appliances. And while some of them were very useful, uh, like our stand mixer that we had before we off grid, we still have to this day. Um, but most of those you know, we didn't actually have to have that version. Like for example, I have, an, I have a hand crank blender and that hand crank blender can do everything that my immersion blender or, or my Ninja can do with no problem at all. Um, now it takes a little bit longer. Um, and obviously you have to do it by hand, but it will absolutely liquefy food. It will absolutely um, you know, blend stuff up and, and, you know, we get the consistency that we want if we're trying to blend something and we don't do a ton of blending anyways. You know, you end up, you know, getting on a kick of, Oh, we're going to eat smoothies every morning for breakfast. And so you go buy, buy this hundred dollar, uh, special blender and, and you use it for about a month. And now you've got this hundred dollar special blender and then you blend other things up that you may not necessarily need to because you've got the blender. Um, you know, so soups are about the only thing that we blend and realistically that's about a once every other month situation for us. And it's not something that we'd absolutely have to have. The other thing there is, um, a small immersion blender draws a lot less electricity than a big stand blender. And again, if all I'm doing is emulsifying some ingredients that have been, you know, simmering in a soup or a stew for, you know, 24 hours, I don't need a ton of power. Uh, it's overkill. I have it because I need a device that can crush up ice, uh, but I don't need the power required to crush ice 
in order to make a soup. And so we did a lot of those things where we said, okay, some things we can get rid of completely because we don't need at all. Uh, other things we can replace. And then still other things, um, maybe we just say, okay, well, those things will just be strategic about when we use them. Maybe we'll use them when the temperature's off or in the middle of a very sunny day. Um, coffee was a big thing. We went from, um, we went from using a drip coffee maker to, at one point we were grinding up our own beans and putting that through a, a drip coffee maker. And when we went off grid, I said, well, you know what? I don't mind hand grinding my coffee and using a French press. And so I got a nice rotary hand grinder uh, that makes about a French press worth of coffee grounds. And that's how we made coffee. We, I'd get up in the morning. I'd put a hot kettle on the stove, which is propane. And while that was heating up, I'd start grinding my coffee. And normally I would have, you know, um, about two um, measures worth of the coffee grounds um, ready to go or, or in the French press by the time the water started boiling. And I pour that in there, let it sit, mix it up a little bit, let it sit a little bit more, and then hit the plunger, and now I've got coffee. And I use zero electricity for that. And I remember a lot of people asking me when I uh, started talking about being off-grid, I used that as an example because I ended up having better quality coffee every day than I did before, but I had to do a little bit of manual labor. And I had a bunch of people, including other people that were off-grid, say, well, why not? I mean, why don't you just use a dang regular coffee maker? It doesn't use that much electricity. And while that is correct, the draws are very high. And when we first went off grid, we were on lithium. We were not on lithium iron phosphate batteries. We were on flooded lead acid. And with flooded lead acid batteries, you get penalized the higher your draw is. And when I say penalized, I mean if I have if I think of a battery as a hundred ounces of water, um, most people think, okay, well I can take a hundred ounces of water out of that battery. And then if I say, well, you never want to really take the battery below about 50%, then they say, okay, I can get 50 ounces of water out of that. But if you are pulling water, uh, you know, again, we're using the water analogy because it's normally easier for people to visualize this. If I'm pulling water out of that battery at a rate of one ounce per minute, then I can get 50 ounces out before I hit 50% depth of discharge. But if I'm pulling it out at two ounces per minute, I can only get about 40. Same battery, same voltage readings, but I lose capacity. If I'm pulling it out at five ounces per minute, I may only get 20 ounces. And if I'm pulling it out at 15 ounces per minute, I might only get 15 ounces. Okay. And that's just the way that flooded lead acid batteries work. That's the way the chemistry works is the faster you pull energy out, the less available energy there is. Now, lithium iron phosphate technology does not work like that. The battery chemistry is different. With lithium iron phosphate, they discharge and recharge more efficiently, and you don't get penalized from higher draws. Uh, but again, back then, we were on flooded lead acid batteries. And so the idea of getting up in the morning which by very definition 
is the portion of the day where I'm going to have the least amount of available energy in those batteries and no sun most of the time. I get up early. Uh, or at least if there is sun, it's still behind the trees, right? Because we are in the middle of a forest. And in that scenario, I'm going to plug in a hot plate and a water heater, essentially. I mean, that's what, at the end of the day, that's what a drip coffee maker is, is a hot plate and a water heater with a, with a water pump on it, with a small water pump. And those are high draw items. You know, you're talking about a thousand plus watts on most drip coffee makers when they're getting started up. And it just did not seem like a good use for our battery bank. And again, grinding the coffee, making it in the French press, it, it, was, it wasn't hard. And it was kind of like just one of those morning routines that I got into. And it, it never seemed like work. Uh, it just seemed like that's what we did. And I still have that hand grinder to this day. And I still have that French press. Uh, and when I go to Linden, I still use them. I still grind, hand grind my coffee and um, it's not a problem. And so that's just one example. I know I spent a lot of time talking about hand grinding and French pressing coffee versus using a drip or a K-cup. But, um, but that was just one of the things we looked at and said, we don't need it. And so uh, we went through, we made a list of every device that plugged in that was in the house. We identified how much energy it used max. So it's maximum draw. We, we figured out how much energy it used over a 24-hour period, and that became kind of our baseline for, you know, what we were going to keep and what we weren't. And we said, okay, what do we actually need and what don't we need? What can we get rid of? You know, do we need plug-in nightlights in the kids' rooms, or can we use a battery-powered nightlight and, a, and, a, uh, and use rechargeable batteries in there? And those rechargeable batteries can recharge in the middle of the day when we're getting our maximum sun. Uh, those little small things like that end up making a big difference. As a matter of fact, um, I would say that rechargeable batteries, well, batteries in general, batteries in general, but, but specifically rechargeable batteries made it much easier for us to go off grid because there were so many options for us to say, oh, okay, well, that item uh, we just switched it from being an item that plugged in to being an item that was battery powered. Uh, and most of the time that ended up not being a problem. Most of the time that was, you know, it as particularly in the, in the case of like lights, we didn't even really notice it. Um, I will tell you that this didn't happen until much later in our off grid experiment, but I really, really like candlelight. Um, I, prefer candlelight. I prefer to read by candlelight. Um, when we get together in Linden and play cards, I prefer to play cards by candlelight. Um, I just, I like the, that soft yellow glow in the evenings. I just really like it. And I found that, um, the tall, thin, I think they call them taper candles, uh, are the ones that I prefer. Um, about three of those lit in our bedroom, lights the bedroom up perfectly fine in the evenings. Um, a couple of those in the living room, um, one upstairs, one in the kitchen, um, and, and we're good to go. Um, 
And, you know, you typically, I think we were getting one candle would last us about three nights. Uh, you know, we would, we would light them when it was starting to get around dusk and blow them out when we went to bed. Uh, the candles upstairs in the girls' room, they, they normally kept theirs going all night. Uh, and then we also had some motion sensor battery-powered lights uh, that we kept in the house. Uh, I, st- I actually still have one of the old Mr. Beam lights that I bought in 2012 uh, in the bathroom, still going. I think I've changed the batteries out in it like twice. It's one LED bulb and a little motion sensor deal on it. Uh, and that, that thing has, has just worked perfectly for us. We've had a lot of battery-powered things in the house kind of um, have batteries go bad in them and destroy the device. And that's just, you know, poor planning on our part, uh, not making sure we're swapping those batteries out. Um, you know, you'll get batteries that are a bit off uh, from each other. One draws a little, it draws down a little bit more than the other. Um, and then, you know, you let that sit for a long time and eventually start having battery acid leak out of it. Um, you know, we also had some winters where after we had moved up to Indiana for, for my work uh, for a few years, uh, we had one really, really bad winter. And I think we actually had some batteries that froze over the course of that winter while they were in devices. And so, you know, the, the, the lesson from that is we have a couple lights. They're actually magnets that they, they, are, they stay in specific areas. Those lights keep batteries in them all the time. So we can walk in the door and immediately to the left, there's a battery powered light that we can flip on. There's one in the kitchen. And the other lights in the house, uh, those batteries come out when we're not using them and, and then they just, you know, they rotate. And so, um, so that's been a pretty good process for us. And whereas there was a period of time where we, we were having battery powered um, lights in particular that were lasting us about two years and then being destroyed. Uh, and we've got some in now that are about seven years old and um, still going strong just because we devised a little bit of a better uh, strategy for managing those devices so that we didn't end up destroying them through mismanagement. Um, so lighting was an easy one. We, we have a few um, out, uh, fixtures, lighting fixtures, one in the bathroom downstairs, one in the stairwell. Uh, the one in the stairwell stays on basically 24 seven. Um, but it is a like 20 watt equivalent, uh, led bulb. Uh, and then the one in our, our bathroom, I think is a hundred watt equivalent. So it's like 17 Watts when it's on. Uh, and that was actually the first led light bulb that I ever bought. I paid $43 for that light bulb. That's how much they cost back then. Um, and I still have the box because it's supposed to have like a, I think it's got a 10 or 20 year warranty. And if that thing ever goes out, I'm sending it back and I'm getting a new one. And I'm sure the new one will be nowhere near as good quality as, as that one that, that's already been in place for 11 years. And so um, we have, we've changed the one in the, in the stairwell out. And again, the one in the stairwell stays on 24 seven. If we have power, that lights on. Um, and that was actually, when we would be out, you know, doing something as a family, when we got home, if we walked in and that stairwell light wasn't on, we knew that the inverter had kicked off for some reason. And so, um, you know, we do not, we had a propane refrigerator uh, and no chest freezer. So uh, we did not use electricity at all for cooling food. 
Um, I mentioned in the last podcast about, you know, we had the one window unit. Uh, we, we did eventually expand and add a window unit in both the living room and upstairs in the girls' room uh, that we could flip over to the guest room if we needed to. Uh, those didn't get run very often, but we had them in case, uh, you know, it got really hot. Um, you know, again, we did, we determined that uh, a good fan, um, does the job pretty well, as long as we allow our bodies to acclimate to the summer heat. We had, um, you know, all of our cooking was either on wood fire or propane fire. And, um, the reality was, is I think we used the, the vast, oh, our, our water heater on demand propane. Uh, we started out with a propane tank water heater, um, and our propane system runs on 100-pound tanks. And we found that uh, we were using about one tank a month, and when we got rid of that tank propane water heater and went to a tankless on demand, our propane uses dropped by two-thirds. We went from getting one of those a month to once every three months, uh, getting those tanks filled. And, um, we had, let's see what else. So I would say that the vast majority of our actual energy was used from moving water, whether that be moving water in aquaponic system or moving water from, uh, the, the cistern, the above ground cistern that we use for rainwater collection to, uh, the house through the filter system, or, uh, in the event that we were using the deep well to fill up that, um, that cistern, uh, we'd have the generator on it. We'd be using a deep well pump uh, to pump water up. And so that was, that was kind of the process there. Um, it worked very well for us. Um, when we move back off grid full time, we will have a slightly larger solar array. We will have a slightly larger uh, battery bank. And we will have a mini split in the bedroom. <laughs> that's uh, that's going to be the price of, of moving back off grid. Uh, as we are going to, we're older now and, um, we're also a little bit wealthier now, you know, so, um, so we have the means to enlarge that battery bank and, and add some solar panels and, uh, and the desire to, um, you know, in, in the middle of those hot summers, I still plan on being outside doing a lot of work out in the, in the garden and tending animals and things like that. But I think I'd like to come in and have an air conditioned room I can hang out during the day, uh, which was a which was a luxury uh, when we did our first uh, stint off grid, um, but will be a, a pretty regular occurrence, I think, in the next stint. Uh, but, yeah, those are the things we considered. And and, you know, on tomorrow's podcast, what I'll talk about is once you've determined what you're taking off grid, what is going to be plugged in and you get kind of like a daily uh, usage profile and you should have one of those for winter and one of those for summer because the generation profiles are going to be so different from winter to summer. Uh, it's important to note that you have, um, you know, different loads as well. So I'm not going to be running my air conditioner in the middle of winter, but that's good because air conditioning is one of my biggest draws. And in the winter, I'm going to be generating less electricity, uh, on average. So um, with that, I'm going to wrap it up for today. If you guys have any comments, questions, or anything you'd like me to cover on the podcast, including a few of you guys have sent me some news articles on you know, things that are happening in the solar uh, industry or in the homesteading uh, category. 
uh, keep sending those to me. Uh, when I get enough to kind of cover them uh, on a full show, I will do that. And um, those you can send to me at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at hackmyhomestead.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.